I just love playing games. They're my favourite. There are many I love. Tag, hide and seek, stuck in the mud. They're all up there on my favourites list. But, there's one I love more than any other. And it's called The Cellar. It isn't too tough, really. And all you need is five people and the seller. The people shouldn't be that difficult to persuade. But if you need to encourage them, a blunt weapon would be fine. Now, for the game itself. Make sure all the people are awake before starting. Tell them they will remain locked in there until one remains and give them enough food to survive exactly one week. That way, when the food disappears, they will be desperate. Now they will fight to survive. There will be so much blood and tears that will be difficult not to burst out into laughter. And then, when there's only one left, they will be thrilled to find that the door was never locked to begin with. They slaughtered the others for nothing. Overall, this game is fantastic for boring days when there is nothing better to do. So go ahead, try it. I promise it'll be fun. Hi everybody and welcome back to the Darkest True Podcast, where we explore the darkest parts of human history. Hope everybody is well. I'm Rob, your host as always. Welcome to the new episode. Again, I hope you enjoyed our short little ghost story to start. This is the last instalment of our spooky season special before our Halloween episode on Tuesday. And I guarantee it's one not to be missed. Today's episode, if you hadn't already guessed, is about horror movies. These films are something of a favourite of mine and I can watch any type, even the really shy B-movies. None of them are off-limit. Sometimes, these movies are incredibly grotesque and gore-filled. Some are more supernatural in nature, and some are just downright messed up. I'm talking about the Terrifier series there. But one thing we tell ourselves before we go to sleep is, they're just films, and they're not real. Unfortunately, that isn't always the case. So without further ado, please turn off those lights, sit back and relax under the blanket for more Dark History. Three recent Texas graduates, Ed, Henry and Phil, head down to Mexico for a week of loose fun. But things take a sinister turn when one of them goes missing. It's revealed that Phil has been kidnapped by a serial killer slash cult leader who's preparing a human sacrifice to bless their drug smuggling racket. The 2007 Mexican-American horror film called Borderland, which is written and directed by Zev Berman, is loosely based on the true story of Adolfo de Jesus Constanzo, a drug lord and the leader of a religious cult that practiced human sacrifice. 
Adolfo Constanzo was born in Miami in 1962. His mother, a widowed immigrant from Cuba, moved to Puerto Rico with her infant son to marry her second husband before the family moved back to Miami in 1972. Voodoo and Catholicism have always had an interesting relationship and although Adolfo Constanzo was baptised in the Roman Catholic traditions, like most other immigrants in the little Havana neighbourhood where he lived, strange rumours started to swirl about the young boy and his family. Local legend claims his mother and grandmother were both priestesses in the Santeria religion, a blend of Afro-Caribbean religion and certain elements of Catholicism popular throughout the Caribbean. When Constanzo was 14, he became the apprentice of a local sorcerer who had made himself rich through his dealings with superstitious local drug dealers. It was supposedly this sorcerer who introduced Constanzo to Palo Mayobe, the darker side of Santeria. Shortly after that, his neighbours began finding small dead animals on their doorstep. After spending his teenage years being schooled in sorcery and being arrested several times for shoplifting, Constando's good looks brought him to Mexico City for modelling work. It was there he would recruit his first disciples. Jorge Montes and Martin Quintana were both his first followers and his lovers, having been lured in by Constanzo's powerful charisma and a curiosity about the occult. Constanzo would play upon these dual traits and seduce many other disciples in Mexico City's gay neighbourhood, the Zona Rosa, where he read tarot cards. Constanzo set up shop in Mexico City permanently in 1984, and worked on establishing his reputation as a powerful padrino in the city. Mexican drug dealers presented a perfect combination of superstition and bloodlust upon which Constanzo could apply his trade. For the sum of up to $4,500, he would perform ceremonies that involved the sacrifice of animals that he guaranteed would protect the dealer during their illicit activities. As the sorcerer lured in more and more impressive clientele, including not just powerful cartel leaders, but fashion models, nightclub performers, and a few federal police, he needed to put on a more impressive spectacle to satisfy them. By now, Constanzo and his followers had been raiding cemeteries for actual human bones for some time, but in time, even they would not be enough. Adolfo Constanzo's most important clients were the Caldoza family leaders, one of the country's biggest cartels. The relationship between the padrino and the dealers started out as it usually did, with Constanzo providing protection spells for a large sum of money. As time went on, the Calzadas became more and more powerful. Constanzo becoming convinced that their good fortune were the results of his black magic 
and insisted upon being given a position of power in the cartel. When the cartel leaders refused Constanzo's demands, he and six other family members suddenly disappeared. The Nganga, or Blood Cauldron, is an important part of Palo Mayobe. Worshippers believe that by placing bones and blood in the Iron Cauldron, they can summon the spirits to do their bidding. When Mexican police find the bodies of the missing members of the Calzada family, the mutilated corpses were missing more than just a few parts. Constanza had taken the fingers, toes, hearts, testicles, spines and brains from his former partners, adding them all to his own Nganga in hopes of strengthening his dark powers. Up until then, Constanzo and his cult ritually killed at least 20 people, and maybe as many as 100. He had escaped detection because his victims were almost exclusively prostitutes, homeless people and drug dealers. But when Mark Kilroy disappeared, it became an international incident that forced attention on Mexican law enforcement efforts. Constanzo sacrifices another human victim at the remote desert compound of Rancho Santa Elena. When the victim didn't beg for mercy before dying, Constanzo sent his people out to find another subject for torture and death. When they abducted American college student Mark Kilroy outside of a bar at Matamoros in Mexico, Constanzo inadvertently set the motion for the downfall of his own cult. On March the 13th, 1989, Constanzo's henchman abducted a pre-med student, Mark Kilroy, from outside the Mexican bar and took him back to the ranch. Kilroy had been in Mexico on spring break. When Kilroy was brought to the ranch, Constanzo murdered him. Authorities in Mexico were persuaded to step up their campaign against the drug smuggling across the Texas border. On April the 1st, Serafin Hernandez, a cult member and the nephew of the leader of the Hernandez family drug smuggling network, which had hired Constanzo to use black magic to bring them profit and protection, drove right through a police roadblock. Apparently, he believed that the magic potion Constanzo sold to the drug dealer worked. Hernandez thought that he was invisible to police and led the police directly to the Rancho Santa Elena, where officials found a large stash of drugs and guns. Cult disciples who were arrested began to tell police about the human sacrifices at Rancho Santa Elena. Within a week, authorities had found 27 mutilated bodies, including Mark Kilroy's, at or near to the cult's headquarters. It was said that Constanzo sought a good superior human brain for one of his ritual spells. That's why he murdered Kilroy. Officials said Kilroy was killed by Constanzo with a machete chop to the back of the neck when Kilroy tried to escape about 12 hours after being taken to the ranch. They also discovered Constanzo's cauldron, which contained various items, such as a dead black cat, 
and the human brain. Bloody FM presents Hometown Ghost Stories, a paranormal podcast that investigates a new town every week, bringing you all the hauntings, from haunted houses to castles, bridges to asylums, wandering spirits to demons. Over 100 episodes covering different towns all over the world. Tune in to Hometown Ghost Stories live on YouTube every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern or on any podcast platform and find out if your hometown is haunted. The cult leader did not turn up until May the 6th, 1989, when he panicked and opened fire on the police who were going door to door in search of a missing child in Mexico City. An intense gun battle ensued, and as the police closed in, Constanzo insisted that one of his assistants, El Duby, shoot him. Constanzo was dead when the police finally stormed in. El Duby and Constanzo's other surviving cohorts were tried and convicted of the murders at the Rancho Santa Elena. If you previously thought that a nightmare like the Hills of Eyes could never happen in real life, think again. Director Wes Craven once revealed that the terrifying movie was actually inspired by a real cannibal family in Scotland, led by a person called Sonny Bean. The story of the treacherous and cannibalistic Sawney Bean has gone on to reach legendary status in his native Scotland. The man, known as Alexander Sawney Bean, was supposedly born in the late 1600s near Edinburgh, Scotland, though very little is known about his early life. According to Scottish historians, Bean's story might have begun at the turn of the 17th century though he does not appear in historical records until nearly a century later, in 1755. Bean might also have been originally a tanner by trade. Others say that he was first a hedger and a ditcher. Nevertheless, most accounts agree that Bean eventually left these trades behind and took up with a woman, sometimes called Black Agnes Douglas, in Ayrshire. The legend goes that the Beans retreated from society and confined themselves in a cave over the sea. Now called Benane Cave, the hideaway was said to become hidden when the tide rose high enough. This giant rock formation was allegedly equipped with various tunnels that spanned over a mile in depth and allowed ample space for the young couple to start and raise their hideous family. The Bean Clan grew quite quickly, with Sawney Bean's wife eventually giving birth to 14 kids. With ever-increasing mouths to feed and no real trade to fall back on, Bean turned to robbery and murder to make ends meet, and it didn't take long for his family to help with his crimes. The Beans worked together to ambush lone travellers and local passers-by, and this consequently left them with mountains of bodies to dispose of. As the legend goes, this is how the Beans ultimately turned to cannibalism. 
the criminal clan were said to hack up the bodies of their victims, quarter them and pickle them in their cave. As time went on, the family continued to grow. The cave eventually became home to 18 grandsons and 14 granddaughters, all born out of incest. The Bean Clan eventually numbered 45, and all of them had a hankering for human flesh. With what was essentially a small army to help him, Tawny Bean went on to orchestrate ambushes with military precision, tackling and pouncing upon their victims before dragging their lifeless bodies back to the caves to be consumed. A list of missing persons grew by the day, and occasionally limbs would wash ashore, but the beans, hidden from society, went undetected. Instead, local innkeepers became suspects, as they were usually the last people to have seen the missing person in question. Many innkeepers grew fearful of being wrongly accused, and several of them abandoned their inns for other occupations entirely. One night, the Bean Clan ambushed a married couple riding from a fur on one horse. The man was skilled in combat, so he deftly held off the clan with his sword and pistol. However, the Bean Clan unhorsed the wife and she fell to the ground. The women in Bean's group that night killed the wife, cutting her throat and sucking her blood. They also pulled out her intestines. Before they could take the resilient husband, a large group of fur goers appeared on the trail, and the Beans fled. The fur goers took the survivor to the local magistrate, whom they informed of the experience. With the bean's existence finally revealed, it was not long before the king, perhaps King James VI of Scotland, in tales linking to the 16th century, though it's less clear who this could be in other tales from the 15th century, heard of the atrocities and decided to lead a search with a team of 400 men and several bloodhounds. They soon found the Bean Clan's previous overlooked cave at Benane Head, thanks to the Bloodhound. By torchlight, the troops entered the Benane Cave, and with swords drawn, they proceeded down the mile-long twisting passages to the inner depths of the Sawney Bean family lure. Nothing could have prepared them for the sights they would witness that day. The damp walls of the cave were strewn with rows upon rows of human limbs and body parts, like meat hanging in a butcher's shop. Other areas of the cave stored bundles of clothing, piles of watches and rings and heaps of discarded bones from previous feasts. There are two versions of the events following the Bean Clan's discovery. The most common of the two is that the Bean Clan was captured alive, where they gave up without a fight. They were taken in chains to the Tollbooth Jail in Edinburgh, then transferred to Leith or Glasgow, where they were promptly executed without a trial, as people saw them as subhuman and unfit for one. Thorny and his fellow men had their genitalia cut off and thrown into a fire. 
their hands and feet severed and were allowed to bleed to death. With Sarni shouting his dying words, it isn't over, it will never be over. After watching the men die, Agnes, her fellow women and the children were tied to stakes and burnt alive. There is also another claim that the search party placed gunpowder in the entrance of their cave where the Sarni Bean clan faced the fate of suffocation. Another interesting story attached to the clan comes from the town of Girvan, located near the macabre scene of the murders. There are claims that one of the Bean's daughters eventually left the clan and settled in Girvan, where she planted a tree that became known as the Hurry Tree. The daughter's identity was revealed by angry locals, who hanged her from the bottom of the Hurry Tree. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen to this dark episode. Surprisingly, there are quite a few horror movies that have stories behind them. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Alfred Hitchcock's masterpiece Psycho are based off of Ed Gein, but I didn't include these two because the sick and twisted mind of Ed Gein's deserves an episode of its own. Also, you have The Exorcism of Emily Rhodes or other exorcism films, but I didn't want to include them either, as our first episode in this little mini-series was about demonic possession, and I'm not a massive believer in them to be honest. I'll sit and watch them for the scare factor, but other than that, I think they're all fake. Then you move on to things like The Conjuring and the Ed and Lorraine Warren stories, and they were absolute bollocks. Those two really were just opportunistic chancers who made money out of whichever kind of alleged supernatural mess they could. Anyway, if you could please drop us a review on the show, it helps the podcast out. The more reviews, the more the algorithm pushes the show out there. I do want to say thank you to the people that have already reviewed the show. If you think friends and family may be interested in the podcast, and share it with them. Links to all socials are below. The links to the show's Patreon is below. This is for people who want to support the channel, but you don't have to. As always, if you've been listening for a while and not subscribed, please do that. In that way, you never miss an episode. So with all that out the way, thank you again for listening. Join us next time for our next episode as we delve into another event and more dark history.